The company HP recently launched its first HP Work Relationship Index. It's a study that tracks and analyzes the relationship between people and their work. What it found was the relationship most employees have with their jobs is a bit on the rocks. To learn more about the study and what it could mean for future jobs, including in government, I spoke with Todd Gustafson, who is president of HP Federal. We at HP conducted a survey this past six months across the globe for about 15,000, just over 15,000 respondents. And what we wanted to measure was try to understand the relationship that workers had in both the private and public industries, what their relationship was work like, how did it matter, how did it impact their relationships at home and their productivity. And it was uh, it was quite interesting. And it, as you might expect, it varied by geography in terms of the impact. But what we discovered is on average, about 78% of the 15,000 respondents shared that they had a very unhealthy relationship with their work. And it was certainly more concerning than we thought. And we had a lot of data that uh, they drilled a little bit deeper than that. But we, we took that and uh, and are using it as a, a launching pad, if you will, into how technology might be an enabler to improve that work relationship. When you say unhealthy relationship, what does that mean? What does unhealthy relationship, as it's defined by the report, mean? At, at its core, it's about two things, uh, physical health and mental health. And so if you think about each one of those, physical health could be something as simple as not getting enough sleep because you don't feel good about your job. You don't feel good about the contributions you may be making. You may not necessarily align with the mission of your uh, of your role. So that can conduct your just your physical well-being. And then as importantly, because of that and because of the disconnect that a lot of employees have with, you know, if we think back to pre-March of 2020, the vast majority of us went to the office. We had a social outlet. We uh, we engaged with our colleagues on a very regular basis in a very, uh, if you will, work intimate relationship. All that changed, right? And as a result of that, that emotional connection that people have and the mental health that comes from that emotional connection is somewhat lacking. And I would say that's a little bit bifurcated based upon generational. If I think about uh, even at HP or our adult children, they want to go to the office. That's a social outlet for them. They uh, they want to be engaged. Where different generational may not need that same level of engagement because they get it from their spouse or their significant other, or they decide that they don't want to do that. So I think we need we've discovered that we need to meet the employees where they're at versus mandating what we think it should be. Yeah, you talked about how technology could help improve the relationship that most people have with work. And I imagine that's the reason why HP, you know, you don't usually think of HP as a human capital focused company. But what sorts of technologies did you all have in mind when it came to improving how people feel about their professions? Well, let me just take a step back on that, Eric. You know, our founders, Bill and Dave, invented what's called the HP way. And the HP Way, you know, 84 years ago was founded on giving our employees the tools and the process and the freedom to be able to engage in a way that gave them the best possible output, where they could do innovation at a scale that was never thought possible before. And as an example, we were the very first company that came out with something called FTO or Flexible Dream Off, where we didn't mandate what vacations were. You took the time off as you needed, and we accommodated that. 
Well, when you think about it from a technology standpoint, I would suggest that there's two things that are omnipresent. One is, if you think about the emergence of virtual technology and the conversation as an example that you and I are having right now, and the fact that we can use uh, rich media, both voice and video, and uh, and do this in over the airways in a way that's very conducive to having a personal connection is really harmful. Um, and we do that in a way that we're dressed professionally, we're well engaged. As importantly, think about what's happening on the emergence of AI, whether it's tools like Copilot from Microsoft, as an example. What individuals used to do that might be considered somewhat menial tasks can now be accomplished with new tools that are available, that are available on the edge. You can do it on your notebook, your desktop, even your phone in a way that allows, whether you're in the government or in a private industry, allows you to contribute at a much greater level and let tools and technology do more of the menial tasks at work. So I think our relationship's going to change, not just in terms of who we engage with and what our leadership looks like, but also those tools and those processes that allow us to be more of a built. I'm glad at least the top half of me looks professional. <laughs> We're speaking with Todd Gustafson. He's the president of HB Federal and the head of the U.S. public sector. So on the public sector side of things, what could federal agency managers take away from this report and, you know, in making decisions about how to keep their workforce engaged? You know, we have engagement scores that come out every year from the federal government. They usually, you know, stay about the same and the same agencies that have problems with in the past continue to still have issues with it. What do you think they could take away from this? You know, the thing that I learned the most, I've been with HP for 35 years, Eric, and I, I've seen it quite a lot over those years. And what I would tell you is what hasn't changed and what is critically important from a leadership standpoint is emotional engagement, emotional engagement with your peers, with your colleagues, and with your leadership. And I'll give you just a couple of different examples that I would offer as a suggestion is one is that you regularly communicate your shared principles, what you're about, what your organization about, what is your mission, how does it impact your constituents? If you work at the Department of Veterans Affairs, you think about, you know, some of our most cherished assets in our country of folks that gave their lives to service of our country, you can absolutely align your mission with the folks that you're serving. And the more that you align in those goals, as an example in the BA, is a powerful metaphor to gathering everyone together on, on a singular focus. The second thing that I would say is, when you think about culture of work, we're working in this right now at HP every year. Our fiscal year begins on November 1st, and we're reaffirming what we do, why we do it, and what's the outcome of that. And we don't assume that everyone knows that because we're going through a transformational. You know, we have turnover in our workforce. We have different generations, people uh, joining, people retired. And so that continuous information. And then I'll just share one personal little tidbit that I do every week, every Monday morning at nine o'clock. I, I record a, vi a, a video every morning that is distributed to the entire organization, which is called Top of Mind Monday. And it is a five-minute video on what's top of mind for me. It gets shared broadly. Uh, it has uh, from top to bottom. And it's a really powerful way that every week I communicate with the broad organization on everything. And it's virtually unfiltered. And having that proximity engagement with the team is really important. 
Could this change, you know, in the future? And I'm asking you to kind of look into the future here for me. But will that mean that the top, top level of folks in charge are looking for, you know, those middle managers that are a little bit more engaging and, you know, someone like yourself who obviously has a lot of passion and is, you know, able to not just, you know, say you do this and then kind of shut off and, you know, just sink into their inbox for a while. You know, I think it's important in leadership where you're at the height, whether you're a CEO or secretary or department head or an individual contributor, that we bring the ropes all the way to the ground in terms of our engagement. And I reference this as what I call, Eric calls, sprinkles of magic, to find a way that you can reach out to someone in your organization and have a conversation with them, whether it's individually or in a very small group where you use the two years that you were given and you listen. Listen is such a is such an amazing tool. Be able to engage and give your teams the opportunity to share what they have to say. Now that may not always change the outcomes, but I think what people what matters most to people is that they have a voice that they're listened to, that they have an opportunity to contribute. And if if leaders can find a way to spread that sprinkles of magic throughout their team, you'll be really highly amazed at what the outcomes of those are. That's Todd Gustafson, president of HP Federal. We'll post this interview along with a link to the report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. As the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's Chief People Officer, Elizabeth Comstetter sees a focus on people as absolutely crucial to her leadership style. Comstetter joined Shane Canfield, WEPA CEO, to reflect on her years of experience leading in the federal human capital space. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Elizabeth Comstetter, Chief People Officer at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Elizabeth, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. In your current position at CISA, one of your responsibilities is ensuring a people-first culture. Explain what that is, and, and what's the role of leadership in creating and shaping that culture? Yes, at CISA, really paramount to our culture is a people-first driven aspect, so that we are really looking at how do we accomplish our mission through our people. And in order to do that, we really value our people. We want them to feel empowered and supported and uh, respected, and also that their managers care about them. So well-being is important. Psychological safety in the workplace is important so that all voices and ideas are heard. So I like to call it our North Star. Having a people-first culture really starts with the people in order to get our incredibly difficult mission accomplished. In terms of leadership, which is a great question, I think we all know that culture is really driven by leadership and the, the behaviors that we allow and we uh, you know, uh, reinforce in our leaders. So we really work at making sure that our leaders are bringing out the best in their people every day. So again, that they feel they can bring their voice, especially an opinion that might not go along with the majority of a group, so that we get that diverse perspective, we get those different ideas and experiences And that's really where we find that it's important that leaders are purposefully bringing out their talent on their teams to enable our mission. Excellent. We're we're going through a a culture project at our work. Oh, great. It's um, 
it's been six months in the making and it's going really well, but it is work. Yes. And it requires from the top down. So I'm, I'm also involved in that. I hear you. Great. Throughout your career, you've piloted many different talent management programs, including at NASA, the CIA, the FBI, just to name a few, and you have an amazing career. What have you learned or how have you might have changed along the way in creating and leading those programs? Yes, and I, I, I am so honored to have had a career in public service across multiple federal agencies, always in the realm of human resources and workforce performance. And I think because I study organizations and people in them, I've come to realize, particularly in the federal government, that many of our programs are really grounded in the industrial era thinking that this is organizationally structured in a hierarchy with boxes and lines on charts, uh, with the center being around jobs and what do we need to get this job done in terms of skills and training. And what I found is that we're really not in the industrial era anymore where we would promote the smartest people who knew that work and they would then tell the people on their team how to do things and oversee that work. We're now in a digital era and the information era where work gets done collaboratively across geographic boundaries and certainly across org charts. So uh, we like to call it networks um, or hierarchies. And we really need to, again, unleash people so they can find those other people who are working on similar problems or have the right ideas. And so I really like to think of our work now in the talent programs being human centered. It's more about the user and the experience than about the rules and regulations. So although we have to have rules and regulations, certainly in human resources, is that person experiencing what they need and getting what they need for their role at that time? So not so much on the job, but on the person. So for example, we're recruiting. What's the applicant experiencing? Because if they're not having a good experience with our organization from the time we're recruiting them, they're going to go work for somebody else. Same thing with like first-time supervisors. We know they need certain training, but telling them to sit in a class for one week and then hope a year from now they'll remember what they learned to apply, that's not really human-centered. The human-centered is what do they need when they need it and building modules or or just-in-time training and bringing that to the people, to that user as they need it. So that's really, I think, the most important focus of talent programs today in this era to enable the workers to be the best they can be in their, in their roles. Excellent. New thinking. Um, this is always an interesting question. Has there been a time when, as a leader, that you've made a mistake? And <laughs> what is that? And um, I think most important, what did you take away from that? What did you learn from that? Well, I kind of chuckle because I think as leaders, we have to learn to recognize our mistakes, admit our mistakes, and that they are opportunities to learn. And so uh, I've had to do my own self-reflection on on making mistakes and when things don't turn out the way that I expected them to. Um, Makes me think of a time when I was at the Transportation Security Administration and I was a supervisor and I was really embroiled with my program. I was the technical leader of it. I understood it. I'd run it for years. And I was making a briefing for a decision that had to be made about this program that was very near and dear to me. And I presented the briefing uh, to one of the very senior people in the agency. And I think there are about 20 people in the room. And I had 
gone through the briefing, answered all the questions. And that leader then said, "Okay, I'm going to go around the room and get everybody's opinion. And then everybody gets to vote, which kind of set me aback because there were people in that room that didn't have any technical knowledge about my program. She even turned to the executive assistant there taking notes on the meeting and said, go ahead and I want to hear from you. And I realized in hindsight, I had stopped listening. I had been in transmitting all of my knowledge and what I saw to be the right way. And I was not listening to different perspectives in the room because I didn't think that I didn't value that they were bringing any kind of input to this particular decision. And it didn't go as I had hoped. And I left very disappointed and was busy blaming the senior leader and how that meeting was conducted, that she let all these people have opinions when they didn't know, in my mind, didn't know what they were talking about. And so um, in reflection on that, I realize, and now as I've moved into more senior leadership positions, I realize that was a mistake, that it actually is really important to listen, especially to people who have different perspectives or at a different point in the career, not just the people who know the program or the technical really well. And so that was a mistake I made. And I realized in my own sense, I wasn't listening to very different opinions. And I probably should have because I would have learned more about what was needed for this program going forward than just leaving, getting getting upset that it didn't go a certain way. So I've really practiced active listening. I've practiced making sure there's very different people on um, teams and certainly on committees or councils that we need early careers, people new to the agency, Mm -hmm. people who haven't walked in the shoes of the technical workforce because they're asking questions we need to hear for these programs to be successful. Excellent. Your career in talent management means your work is very closely tied to people. And even your title, chief people officer, what does that mean to you to be a leader in the federal system with that focus. Isn't that a great title? I just love the title Chief People Officer, and I think it's my dream job, really, to be focused on people and culture and the workforce strategy for the whole agency. And I'm just so excited to be at CISA at this point in time. We're only four years young as an agency, so we're really still creating who we're going to become as an agency and what is our culture And what kind of people and talent do we need to be sure we have to be successful? So it's very exciting for me to be in this role with a intentional focus on culture. Because it's one of those things, if you leave it to chance and you kind of hope it goes the way you want it to, it probably won't. So by building programs, including leadership development programs, including um, any kind of training and learning and career growth, and um, engagement programs and listening programs. That's what's really key for, I think, for our agency and particularly me in this role. Um, I think in the federal government, we got used to doing annual survey, the Federal Employee Viewpoint Survey that OPM, Office of Personnel Management, runs every year. So we would do a survey and we'd read it and we'd say, oh, this is the opinion of our people. And then we would do action plans and then we'd roll out certain activities that we would hope would would increase engagement. In this era, you can't do once a year and understand what your employees' experiences are, what they need, what's working well, and what needs to improve. We need active, uh, ongoing listening programs. So one of the things we're doing at CISA is having more pulse surveys, having more focus groups and what we call sensing sessions 
expecting our leaders to have office hours where anybody can come and just talk about what's going well, what do they need, how, how are things going, um, because I, we feel like it is an ongoing need to hear from our people. And I think in this role and over the years of serving, I've also realized there's never a one-size-fits-all. You know, we think certain people need certain things at certain times in their career. There's no one-size-fits-all. Neither can we also customize everything to every individual. So there's got to be a sweet spot in building really great talent programs, but also, like I said, thinking about can we do this in modules? Can we make it a menu? Can we do it just in time as people need it so they can practice the new skill or knowledge in their role? So I think we have such great opportunity, again, with the technology that enables us to really um, focus on how we connect people with their work and their team to get things done in, in very new ways. This is always an interesting question. Is there a figure either from your personal life, your past, somewhere in history generally that inspired you, your leadership style, um, how you view leadership? There are many figures who have been very inspirational to me, but there is one that sticks out, and that's my mother, Paula Brownlee, who has been a very inspiring leader to me all my life. And I think because first and foremost, she had a strong family and a strong career. And that's something I always wanted. And I saw her first as my mother, but then I also saw her as a leader in her career and in academia, which was her chosen field. But I always knew her family came first. And as I saw how she balanced different family needs with also a, a growing and more and more prominent um, career positions in leadership, that she had to balance that. And I think I learned from her that you can have both. You have to, you have to focus on different things through your career um, and through your life, but that you don't have to trade one for the other. Um, I've been married, happily married, for 32 years, and I'm a mother of twins who are almost 24 years old. So, And I've had a great career in public service. So I think that having her as a role model has really helped me um, find my own courage, find my own confidence, and find my own voice in how I can prioritize the things that are most important to me so that I can actually balance both family and career. And you're doing it well. You're, Thank uh, you. Having known you now for seven or eight years, yeah. um, and work alongside you. Uh, your passion is infectious. Thank you. Your uh, intelligence and, and the thoughtfulness with which you approach uh, all of these issues. It's, uh, it's an honor for you to be here, and thank you for your time. Thank you very much. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO at WEPA, and until next time, have a great day. Find the full podcast and future episodes of Lessons in Leadership on the Federal News Network app and anywhere you enjoy your podcasts.